So as Bonte said, my name is Rebecca Gesso, and I've had the honor to be the vice president of the board for the past eight years, and then a few months ago transitioned into the role of executive director. Um, so I think I, I recognize almost every face in the room. Some of you I know more than others. Um, <clears throat> I'm really grateful that I found a role that allows me to be in service to a place that has given so much to me. I and my family have been coming to the temple for just over 10 years. And um, as I hear the story so much, it was, we came here for the first time and it just really felt like home. Like we just felt really connected to it right away. And so my husband Mark and I, our daughter Arwen was seven at the time, kind of threw ourselves into getting, getting, meeting lots of people, getting connected to being in service. Um, my daughter went to Buddha Kids for many years till she outgrew it. So um, this is a place that, that has a really special um, place in my heart. And then now I have the pleasure of coming here every day to work as well, which is great. There are always so many teachers here, and one of the things that I decided I wanted to talk about a little bit today was the power of noble friends. So um, for me, that has been really central over all of my life, my life even before... Um, even before I knew what a noble friend was, I realized that those relationships were always really important to me um, and carried a lot of value. <clears throat> My Buddhist practice has grown really slowly and organically over the last 25 years. Um, it was started out as a general philosophy that I felt really drawn to, and now it is just a way of life that is really central to who I am as a human being. It's guided me through all the ups and downs, and so I, I've come to kind of feel like my Buddhist practice is in itself a noble friend to me, that I'm really grateful that I have it in my life because of everything it's given to me. Um, <clears throat> it has profoundly impacted how my husband and I decided to raise our daughter. Um, she just moved away two months ago to her, uh, she is a freshman at the University of Wisconsin at Eau Claire. So I'm going through that transition of, of not having Arwen around and uh, talking to a few friends over the past few weeks, how I worded it as, I, I don't feel profoundly sad that she is gone. But I have this space in my head, in my heart, that every day for the past 18 and a half years has been filled with, you know, has she eaten? Did she drink enough water today? Did she do her homework? Is her room clean? All of these things. And then that space isn't, isn't there anymore. It's not filled. So I'm, I'm working on figuring out how to fill that space in a way that, that feels best to me. Um, I would say that it's my practice has significantly affected both my personal and work relationships. I know that that it was really important to me that I found a way to show up authentically who I was no matter what space I was in. So if I'm at work amongst people who don't know what Buddhism is or what noble friends are, I still need to authentically honor all the things that are of value to me. And I found a way to do that that, that feels really healthy. And my Buddhist practice has also been really central to living with my husband's long and disabling illness and subsequent death 14 months ago from primary progressive MS. And so I have really just had a decade of transition. And so when Mark passed away 14 months ago, many friends and family over, over the months said to me, oh, I can't believe that you lost Mark in the same year that you have to let Arwen go away to school. And so those two big periods of transition in my life have really defined so much of my space. 
But because of my practice, I've worked really hard not to allow it to be filled and driven with sadness and grief and loss, but instead to look at opportunities um, that have come from these transitions in my life. So I've practiced observing what's happening and observing how I feel about what's happening to me so that I can make the best decisions going forward um, rather than feeling like I'm like I'm drowning in it. So for me, one of the most important parts of my path has always been to intentionally practice gratitude and joy. I don't wait for it to find me. I don't wait for someone else to give it to me. I don't wait for next week or for the weather to improve or a time when I feel less stressed. <clears throat> I know that it has to come from within and that I have to carefully nurture and give it to myself. And most importantly, that I deserve it, just as everyone else does. And it's allow, it's okay for me to deserve that first, that making sure that I feel grateful and that I am, my needs are being met is more important than everyone else. Everyone else will come next, kind of like when you're on the airplane and they say, put your oxygen mask on first. And it's really hard for us to reach a place where we're okay with that boundary because that boundary for many people feels unhealthy or it feels just kind of rude or, or not kind enough, but it's actually the most kind gesture that you can give yourself. So like all of us with best intentions, sometimes I get it horribly wrong. Sometimes days go by and I'm wrapped up in life's endless whirlwind of stuff that needs to be get done or someone's emotional baggage, my own fear, my own monkey mind. And then I remember that I just need to keep coming back to it. I just come back to gratitude and looking for joy. And I haven't failed because I wasn't perfect. That's a really, I think, important lesson for any layperson looking for a Buddhist practice. The point is never to be perfect. The point is to just keep coming back and practicing it again. I found that noble friends are really essential to my life. Um, most of my noble friends are, of course, people here at the temple. Um, many are even in this room. But some of my best noble friends don't even follow the teachings of the Buddha. They have their own faith. They have their own spiritual path. But they call upon me to remain authentic and call upon me to show up as a good human being each day. And for me, that's really what being a noble friend is. The term Sangha refers to the Buddhist community. And traditionally, it referred to the community of ordained monks and nuns. But today, Sangha really includes all Buddhist practitioners, lay and ordained. And when we take refuge in the Sangha, we're really embracing kinship with all living things. The Buddha taught that each of us is responsible for our own journey of awakening. Be a light unto yourself, he told his attendant Ananda as he was dying. But at the same time, the Buddha left his followers a precious legacy, the teachings and the community. And for me, the community has always been a really essential part of, of my practice. So I've lived through a tremendous amount of grief and loss and transition in the past eight years, and definitely it shaped who I am. But I've also been blessed to see the gifts that have been given to me amongst difficult times and been blessed to have teachers in my life to remind me of the gifts that can come out of the most difficult times. And I wouldn't have learned that lesson in another way. 
I wouldn't have other, I wouldn't have learned those lessons. I wouldn't have those gifts with me every day if I haven't gone through the difficult times. So I have to allow space in my life to appreciate them and maybe even to be grateful for them. Not that I'm welcoming more difficult things to happen to me, um, but when they do happen, seeing them with the eyes of opportunity or seeing them with an open heart, uh, uh, you know, kind of to observe what they may represent helps them not feel so scary or not feel so overwhelming. So I've, for those of you who know me, you've probably heard me mention this book before. This is by far my favorite book. This book has been a friend to me on many a, a difficult week in my life. Um, this is uh, Pema Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart, Hard Advice for Difficult Times. I think this is probably my like 13th or 14th copy because every time I run into somebody who's having a really difficult time and I have it with me, I just keep giving it away and then buy a new one, which feels like like the absolute right thing to do. And part of the reason why I think Pema Chodron really speaks to me is that I think that she just has a way of really connecting um, a Western experience of life with the Buddhist teachings, sometimes even from a woman's point of view, but she has a beautiful way of connecting them. And she's not afraid to be snarky, which I also love as well. So like, like she's not afraid to swear in her books, which also always feels real and authentic to me. So this is, I'm going to, I want to read to you guys my uh, favorite part that I keep coming back to here. <clears throat> Things falling apart is a kind of testing and also a kind of healing. We think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem, but the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and then they fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen, room for grief, for relief, for misery, and for joy. When we think that something is going to bring us pleasure, we don't know what's really going to happen. When we think something is going to give us misery, we don't know. Letting there be room for not knowing is the most important thing of all. We try to do what we think is going to help, but we simply don't know. We never know if we're going to fall flat or sit up tall. When there's a big disappointment, we don't know if that's the end of the story. It may just be the beginning of your next great adventure. And that has been the most inspiring thing that I've probably ever read. Um, another quote from her that I absolutely love, which speaks to this whole topic, is to lead a life that goes beyond pettiness and prejudice and always wanting to make sure that everything turns out to our own terms to lead a more passionate, full, and delightful life than that, we must realize that we can endure a lot of pain and pleasure for the sake of finding out who we are and what the world is really all about. So kind of maybe to, to wrap all this up a little bit, um, I think that in... In my time here at the temple and having meet, met hundreds and hundreds of people and talking to them, this, this idea is, I think, really central to why a lot of people come visit the temple, that they are going through something difficult in their life or something that they feel is unresolved or they just don't feel as happy as they'd like to feel. 
And I think we as Westerners put a lot of pressure on ourselves to achieve something, to be something, to have some certain results. And even by doing that, we often get tied up in a cycle that is the opposite of what's actually helping us to feel content. And feeling content is really connected to a lack of connection to how things turn out. Not a lack of care. It's not that we don't care how it turns out. It's that we're not attached to it only being a certain way. Or we're not spending so much energy kind of warding off or (laughs) resisting all the negative. We're kind of just letting it unfold. And then hopefully observing as it unfolds and taking what we like and saying no thank you to the things that we don't like. Um, But being open to allowing things to just be as they are. And I think that's difficult because our education system doesn't teach us to to approach life that way. You know, our work life doesn't at all tell us that we should approach life that way. Our parents likely didn't tell us we should approach life that way. So we kind of have to untie all those knots to find a place where we can really just let stuff be. Does anyone want to share anything? Have any thoughts? I always think having discussion is always a really nice thing. Jason? Why do you think she's tough? Well, she's just brutally honest. Yes, which is why I love her. Bru- well, point, good point. She's brutally honest. Yeah. Do you, and why are you there? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that's what really speaks to me about her. But so I, uh, does that rawness sometimes feel uncomfortable? No, it's a relief, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Gus? Yeah. There's a lot of uh, <clears throat> literature in Western philosophy that talks about know yourself, uh, you know, get to understand how things like we think our brain can simply shine a light on everything, but there's many things yeah. inside us that are hidden. Yeah. And so what I discovered with the fingers of the temple is uh, one of the things, there's a lot of things I find helpful, but one of the things is to allow self say, I don't know, and I especially don't know myself. So when things arise, like these situations where I have to cope with it, it's like, I didn't know I had that in me. Yeah. Yeah, I love the way that you worded that, because I think that that's, that's really true that And I don't know how long, you probably know this more than me, but for however many decades that it's been really enmeshed in our culture that our goal is to find ourselves. But there is no no self. Like, the only self that I know is I trust that I can look at the world with open eyes. I trust that I can have an open heart. And I trust that I will find the wisdom to figure out what all that means when I look at it to get to a place where I can be content and okay with it. 
And that's what I put, I put my trust in all that unknown, not in who I am. No, no. But, you know, for me, one of the difficult journeys, and for a few people in this room, I've had this conversation with. Jason, I remember having a conversation with you about this once. For me, what's been partially difficult in that journey, not even just marketing sick and dying, which was a, which was a whole thing in itself, but just embracing a Buddhist practice, was that some people have a lot of judgment against that. You know, I, I think I was just saying to, to Janie last week, like my stepmom for 20 years has been saying to my mom that she's really concerned about that cult I'm connected to. <laughs> and, and she, in her, you know, 78-year-old great Christian wisdom, can't see beyond anything. Like she can't see anything other than somehow this is different and different is wrong. And so that, I had to figure out how to deal with that. People who don't understand it or... I have numerous friends that I've just kind of fallen out with. Like, we just don't enjoy spending time together very much anymore because they, for example, are very gossipy and talking about things or television shows that I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'm not giving my space and energy to that anymore, waste of time. And so all of a sudden, it's not really fun hanging out with them anymore. And that's okay because that's part of the process and, and change and growth as well. Any other comments? Alice? Yeah. Yeah. Like I noticed you have crutches with you today, my friend. So I imagine that's something that you're practicing, <laughs> not being angry about. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Last year I gave a Dhamma talk and I talked a lot about happiness and, and I, I can't remember whether this was right after Mark died or right before Mark died, but it was about the idea of how do we find happiness when life isn't actually giving you things that you necessarily should be happy about. And a long time ago, I read this article that really spoke to me and I've, I've, I've followed this practice for a long time and it's just how you said it. It's, um, the author said, in life, we basically have two buckets with us that we're carrying around every day. And one bucket is labeled good and one bucket is labeled bad. And we're taught that everything that happens, we immediately judge. Is that a good thing? Throw it in that bucket. Is it a bad thing? Throw it in that bucket. And we spend all day long. I mean, even, you know, I go to the grocery store and I have my cart and oh, the lines are so long. I'm going to have to wait in line a long time or, you know, every little thing. Every little inconvenience is immediately judged, oh, this is going to be great, or oh, this is going to be bad. But if we practice letting that go, and instead let things tell us, let them unfold, we find that what was really thought was going to be bad really isn't. <laughs> or sometimes a thing has a multitude of complicated things in it, and that practice is really valuable, but immensely difficult. Like I, I think that's probably one of the most difficult practices that I've that I'm still working on. Gus? But you can also discover that it's not that difficult. Well, I find that it's now habit for me. 
I don't, I don't intentionally think about it 90% of the time because that I've just trained my brain to think that way. But you can't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My my phrase of the month that I started out with my niece was, "Yes, you're right. This is really difficult, but you can do difficult things." <laughs> and then that's been like a theme of conversations with people I love. We can all do difficult things, whether we want to or not. <laughs> Anyone else want to share something? Jamie. Oh, sorry, Todd. Yeah, I mean, I think what I've read is that a lot of Buddhist teachings say you are not the jar, you are not the vessel, you're the water within it. Because we, that's exactly it. We, we are constantly morphing and changing and growing and getting bigger or smaller and spreading out and all those other things because we are constantly changing. So how many decades did you go thinking you didn't like cantaloupe, Jamie? Oh, five, five yeah, isn't that funny? So for 50 years, it was, boom, a story. So now here's the thing. Did you it confess to everyone that you actually like cantaloupe? Or? I haven't confessed to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'm sorry, I never said cantaloupe. No, it's okay. I like cantaloupe. I love that. Todd? Oh, it's just a comment. I think you're doing a very good job of executive director. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I, I really like, Tessa and I have say almost every morning, like, gosh, we get to come to work here every day. Like, just that feels like such a big gift. So thank you.